Are you listening to this episode on Himalaya? If you are, congratulations, because you're already using the best new podcast app out there. If you're not, you're missing out. Whether you're a podcaster or a fan, Himalaya is designed with you in mind and has tons of cool features like curated, shareable playlists and collections made just for you, along with personalized recommendations to help with content discovery. And the best part is, it's super easy to use. It's definitely my favorite listening app, and I'm sure it'll be yours too. So do yourself a favor, download Himalaya today, and be sure to follow Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries once you're there. All right, what's up, everyone, and welcome to episode number 184 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for, what's say Saturday, uh, January, February, March, April, April 18th, 2020. As you can tell from my stumbling to find the date, we're still under the, uh, the end of the world apocalyptic COVID lockdown. But on the bright side, we do have the return of Mike because last, well, yeah, last week we had Stephanie and now Mike has returned. And how are you doing, Mike? I'm doing good. Uh, I worked one day yesterday. Uh, well, at, that's at that's the only amount of days you can work yesterday is one day. It, yeah. Well, I'm just saying in terms of it would be weird I did, I did, I, if you worked two days yesterday. That would be fucking weird. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> That'd be some Twilight Zone so, shit. Semantics. I know. Okay. I know. I'm being. Um. Dead. But what I was gonna say is I worked yesterday. And it was my only day of work for, for the this whole week. week. That's oh, wow. what I meant to. That's what I was trying to get to. Uh, okay. Uh, before in a I, roundabout way. Before I just came in with my <laughs> actually, just kicked down the door and just actually, mm-hmm. uh, you can't work uh, again in in one day. Before I I mansplained Mike with science. You could technically though if you did a double shift. I've done it before. So, yeah, anyway. But uh other than that, doing fine. Almost done with school. Uh I only have like two or three more weeks and then I'll I'll be done completely and totally and be done with college, graduate and Oh, nice. And won't have that to worry about in terms of the schedule. I actually heard something from my superiors at work that we might start opening up again in early May. So that's the plan. So we'll see what happens with that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure our tour is canceled that we spent like months. That sucks. Booking. Man. Yeah. Yeah, pretty sure I, that's... I was worried about that and you know, just Yeah, we were too. Mm-hmm. And then as the, the days and the weeks went by, um, you know, the fucking... I was actually gonna try to go see you uh, live with uh uh I think Eddie was gonna uh, drive up and we were gonna Oh shit, that would have been fucking yeah. sweet. Yeah, we were going to try to do that, but doesn't look like that's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's 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 one of those things where it's like you you just kind of check the news every day cuz it's like there's always a new development and it's like I swear to god, it's always bad fucking news. They try to throw a little bit of good news in there like, well, the the uh new cases are on the decline, but then they always got to lead with the most like shock value statistic like, well, yeah. Today, the highest record of deaths so far in the uh-huh. COVID-19 epidemic with 40,000 people. It's peaking right now. It's peaking right now. 
This is a normal, natural thing for it to peak. Yeah. Um, and it just, it's like every day, it's like more and more bad news. I don't watch the fucking news, so I don't care. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, don't, I, I don't need to be depressed. I don't need to be stressed out even more than I already am, which isn't honestly that much because I've just been taking a, a, a approach to this, this whole thing that I, I'm looking for the most positive outlook and the most positive results. I'm not obsessing or focusing on the worst of the worst. That's not what I'm doing. I, I don't think that's a healthy way to live life to begin with. And especially not a healthy way to look at things in the middle of a pandemic. Um, I, I'm just always looking for the light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, for the most part, I am too. And and to be honest, like my stress levels have been like pretty much at an all time low as far as like my OCD yeah. and my uh, anxiety and shit. So it, it's kind of interesting to realize that even though I'm used to working in public in front of large groups of people with my DJing and all that, I guess on some level it was constantly fucking with me uh, on on some microscopic hidden level, like being in, in you know out in public, driving on the highway, just doing all the stuff mm-hmm. you normally would do to for work for me anyway. Um, I remember even when I was at home in a state of rest, I would still be. You know, my my OCD would be bothering me more and my anxiety would be bothering me more. And and ever since like the last month where I haven't been working, I've shit, dude, I find I've found like moments in my day where I like think about my whole day and I'm like, man, I'm looking forward to like a lot of stuff today. And I'm like pretty happy. And it almost almost reminds me of when I was homeschooled as a kid. You know, I was just I stayed Mm -hmm. at home all the time away from the world and my little bubble. And I was like. I'd never been happier than when I was, you know, in that, like, living that kind of life. Mm-hmm. So it's, on that front, I, you know, it's been good. And, you know, I have all this fun stuff to occupy my time with, like, making YouTube videos and writing songs. And we're about to, uh, as of just yesterday, we haven't really even announced it yet. We're going to, we've already started production on a new music video for our new single that's going to come out in May, May 8th. We have a Dance with Ghost has a new song coming out and, um... So yeah, I mean, I've definitely keep been keeping myself busy with shit that I actually want to do. You know, not, I'm not having to work for someone else. But with all that being said, I still haven't gotten my fucking stimulus check yet, and I have a feeling it has to do with the fact that I got a letter from the IRS a few days ago saying that form eight nine six two wasn't filled out in my income yep. taxes, and it was. Yep. I did fill it out, but they said I didn't. And so they want me to resubmit it. And Sometimes that shit happens. IRS uh, misses something or whatever. So fill it out again. Send it to them. Yeah. Well, meanwhile, I'm like, well, uh-huh. is this going to delay my payment? Because, you know, rent's coming due in the next, you know, w- like Depends. week and a half. I don't know what to say, man. I, I You know, it, it, it sucks. I, I, I wish that wasn't something you're dealing with yeah. right now but I, th- I mean it's it's a it's... and then there's other people who i don't think they've gotten them because uh they are on ssi and there's a separate thing for that and then then there's the folks who haven't really filed taxes for this year or last year and didn't use the right deposit so they have to wait uh even longer because they have to wait for the checks to come in the mail yeah, it's kind of scary to be honest, because uh, and then also checks in the mail. Like I don't, I, I'm kind of freaked out about that, especially for people who are waiting for them in the mail and low income. 
and uh, places because I'm worried that there'll be post office workers who will just be like, well, I'll just fucking steal a check. <laughs> yeah. Just steal checks. I mean, I'm sure there's some kind of preventative measure to yeah. keep the, you know, just anyone from doing that. But I mean, and the thing too that sucks is like you, you try to call someone about this and man, if you thought hold times were bad before. Oh, yo, you're well, screwed. It's like trying to call the unemployment office. Right yeah, now. it's it's impossible. Like it, it, I tried calling the government, the IRS phone number, and it was literally just a pre-recorded uh, clip of somebody laughing, just 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 laughing at me. <laughs> It would just be like the 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 uh, meme that's used quite often, uh, which was from I think Cool Runnings, where everyone was just laughing at at, at uh, their uh, notion of of uh, I think it was like a bank loan or something, and the, it was just like <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much pretty much the message I got when I called the. No- I mean, no, they they the, for real though like when i called the number they literally had a pre-recorded message saying yeah we're not taking calls uh we, yeah. we just don't have enough people working and mm-hmm. you were just not taking calls right now and it's like okay just, you just you just uh called the number and then it's just like we're not taking calls you're fucked yeah good day <laughs> I mean, I don't have enough money to cover my rent. I mean, I've got money for, you know, other smaller bills, but I don't have, you know, my rent's a thousand dollars, a thousand sixty four a month. You know, I, I needed yeah. that check was going to pay my rent like that. Mm-hmm. And then after that, you know, they either have to give me another check or I'm fucked, you know, so I don't know. I don't know what the hell, man. I, I think some landlords will be more uh, willing to understand the situation. Other ones won't. Um, uh, I just, I just gotta wish you the best of luck, man. That's all I gotta say. Yeah. I can't, I can't really do much. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the only thing so, that's, bo- I mean, everything else has been cool, but that's the one thing where it's like, well, shit, okay. I guess if you get to the point where you're running out of time, uh, you can maybe ask friends and family and, you know. Yeah, for a loan of some kind, which we, yeah, yeah, I might have to do that. And then once I get the check, pay, pay everyone fucking pay everyone back but anyway um yeah so today we're talking speaking of checks yeah okay mike the king of segues (laughs) over here he's got it big fat checks the kind uh that are comically oversized that you uh would get if you won a uh prize from a competition that ties into the uh, documentary series we're going to be talking about in this episode, McMillions. Let me just say, as like a good tagline, I feel, if you ever played the McDonald's Monopoly game in the 90s, you had no chance. And it was the 2000s, And to the 2000s, you had no chance in hell at ever getting that boardwalk piece. Yeah, it was 1989 to 2001. Yeah, you had no chance, no chance of winning. You could win the smaller prizes, you could win the free chicken sandwich, you could win that shit, but if you ever mm-hmm. thought, oh man, all I need is Boardwalk, which I played McDonald's Monopoly in the 90s, we loved that shit. It was a lot, because, you know, we everyone knew Mon- Monopoly and liked the game and or mm-hmm. all that, and so we were just like, oh, hell yeah, you know, that's like awesome. Um, and you'd get the cup and peel the pieces off, and it was just like... Yeah, uh, I remember doing that with my dad, and I, I do remember my aunt being into it. I don't remember the exact dates though. I don't know if it was 90s. I don't know if it, like if it was 90s it would have to be like late 90s 
Well, yeah, uh, might have been early two thousands, but I'm thinking when I was doing it, it was after all of this, because it. I I don't I don't. But it's one of those things where I don't know for sure. Like it could be even earlier. It could have been right in the middle of all of this. I have no fucking clue. But I know there were people in my family that are really into it. You know, collecting game pieces and little Ziploc bags and you know going really all out with it. And I feel bad for the people who did, went through all that effort and were so frustrated because they're like, oh, man, I, you know, I didn't get it. You never had a chance to begin with. Although your chance was incredibly slim in the first place. Yeah. Even before th- this uh, fraud. But, you know what? Other- once the fraud came into play, it went down to zero. The other one that, uh, the other McDonald's promotion that, uh, I remember we really got into and everyone else got into as well was the, the, the mini Beanie Baby thing. Oh, yeah. I remember that too. Yeah. Cause we actually were that family who, uh, was like trading Beanie Babies, getting Happy Meals to make, you know, yeah, to I, get the one that you didn't have. Exactly. <laughs> and, and a lot of times there would be people. I remember this woman coming up to a McDonald's one time and she brought a big, cardboard box and she's like just fill up fill it up and (laughs) she was willing to pay you know whatever however they you know rang up for the toy or whatever oh wow yeah i remember yeah we said we still have some of them in their bags that beanie baby thing that's another fucking ripoff that was a but that wasn't you know you actually got something for that there still are some beanie babies that some people still pay money for but i think it's just certain collectors are just like that die hard and and i think some people also don't really know so they just get into it and then they're like oh my god it's rare i'll pay this they, they're no longer as uh pricey or as um valuable as they used to be oh you but should I think some of them some of them are still somewhat valuable compared to other collectibles like a lot of fast food toys uh for mcdonald's are really not that um uh, I'm trying to think of the right word. They're not very valuable. <laughs> yeah, um, that's a pretty good way to describe them. So uh, this documentary, though, on the other hand, was very valuable. I thought this was an excellent documentary series by HBO, uh, written by James Lee Hernandez and Brian Lazarte. Uh, they also uh, directed uh, each episode, and, and I felt they did a really nice job. The The uh, best ingredients with this particular uh documentary is definitely the interviews with the various people who are involved with the uh, investigation of the McDonald's scam and those who were part of it. The reenactments are very stock standard. You don't even really get any acting. It's just uh, blurry footage with people who kind of look like the the individuals that are that are uh, telling their story and it's well shot but the reenactments are definitely not the strong uh point of this series i kind of forgot um, there even was reenactments yeah there there were very stylized uh reenactments that were just very forgettable and generic because you didn't really see there wasn't really any acting it was very silent uh maybe some music but uh definitely was a lot better uh when it came to the um, the sequences that were full of interviews with uh, people who were involved with this whole thing. 
Uh, it's like uh, the reenactments were like a plain uh, hamburger, and you know it, it's palatable, but you know barely, and really not gonna uh, leave much of a taste in your mouth, let alone make you want to go back for more. And uh, the interviews are more like the Big Mac or you know the Quarter Pounder, or, you know the the more uh, sus- uh, sustained and uh, enjoyable. Um, Food. God, you just literally made you made a McDonald's analogy to the <laughs> to the reenactments. Like you're you're getting really good at this, Mike. That's all I have to say is you're just you're getting really good at, at weaving a tale of wonder in the mind of the listener. So the first episode uh, introduces you to uh, Doug Matthews, who's this FBI agent who ultimately became the guy who spearheaded this investigation. Yeah. He, he was a young, uh, hungry FBI uh, agent who was looking for cases. I think this is in Jacksonville. Yup. Jacksonville's FBI In my office. hometown of Jacksonville, Florida. Which And I think they were attached to uh, go after like white-collar crimes, right? Wasn't that, that their whole sort of thing? over at that office yes yeah they were doing uh and he was really getting bored of the white collar health care fraud cases that his division usually investigated and then he saw this uh sticky note that was on uh i think a colleague's computer or something yeah it was like his uh it was like one of his superiors in the fbi department and and uh they couldn't even get the uh this guy's apparently like really um like high up and really good at his job and he wouldn't even come on the documentary to like discuss what happened because that's just that's just kind of guy he is mm-hmm. but um doug matthews is the exact opposite of of that he was you can tell this is a guy who definitely likes the spotlight wants to be in the spotlight you know he's a very uh outgoing kind of personality he's a very amicable guy yeah, he seems, you know, he seems like someone that you'd like to have a beer with, you know, if you will. He just real does not seem like the kind of guy that would be an FBI agent. Let's no, put it that not way. At all. He seems no. like the kind of guy that would be like car salesman. Yeah, car salesman, like uh I don't know, like some kind of a uh, like a sports coach or something or like a or, or the or the uh uh infomercial pitch guy. Yeah, or like uh <laughs> like a, a uh a gym uh, trainer, a gym, fitness trainer. A gym trainer? Oh, a fitness trainer? Okay, all right. But uh, he sees this sticky note. It says something about McDonald's, uh, Monopoly. Fraud, question mark. Fraud. And he's like, what? And he, th- th- This is actually a quote from it. He's like, that's got to be more fun than this shit I'm working at. <laughs> 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 Which, again, you think FBI, you think they're not going to be using you know it's everything's gonna be like super official and it's gonna be professional yeah but he's like it's a kid in a candy shop you know yeah he's, he's just keeping it real you know can't can't blame him for that so uh this is uh so he decides okay all right let's go look into this he through uh the contact he the informant he sees that uh there is some mysterious uncle jerry that is apparently uh, the head guy behind uh, this fraud, and that there are McDonald's game-winning pieces that are being sold on the black market. 
And of course, it's like, whoa, like th- now this is this is fun. Like this is a lot more uh, interesting and uh, engaging than any of this other bullshit I'm working on. So he gets a hold of his superiors. They decide there's enough to this to actually go forward with a legit investigation. Uh, they create a fake uh, film production company. And I, I believe I'm trying to look at the name, find the name of the production company here. So I know it's listed in this uh, in this uh, article. Yeah, it's called Shamrock Productions. It's a fake production company, <laughs> and they have a, a logo on the back of the van that says "Cause you're just lucky." <laughs> <laughs> this is great. So. In order to make this uh, investigation, this sting operation, really official, uh, you have uh, Chris Graham, who's the squad supervisor. You have Tom Kinnear, who's the SAC uh, special agent in charge of the entire Jacksonville office. You have Rob, uh, Rob Holm, who's the director of global security for McDonald's. And then you have Janet Pella Chiotti, who is the undercover coordinator and then there's Amy Murray, who worked in the communications for McDonald's at the time and was the point person for the company on the contest winners. And that's how they're able to have uh, legitimacy for this sting. Because you have this woman who is involved with McDonald's and, and their advertising and, and these kind of events. So he comes up with this idea where he's going to get a hold of the names of these winners, interview them... For this uh, fake production company and this uh, whole where are they now or reunion and they're he's going to tempt them with a trip to Vegas and initially he was like we'll just get them to Vegas and then we'll arrest them all. <laughs> yeah. Right then and there. And it's like we can't really do that. <laughs> so, but uh, he still threw the Vegas thing in there. And he had no experience with anything like this. Mark had no experience dealing with anything like this in terms of this kind of operation. But his FBI superiors, they saw his passion uh, for this case. And they just, I, I thought, they thought he would be a good guy for the job. And he really definitely took quite a few risks, that's for sure. <laughs> he, was, he was very ballsy. Took a very ballsy approach with this uh, sting operation. And as you can all see, uh, it worked because uh, the whole scheme was eventually uh, revealed. So the first person they interview, uh, the first winner is this guy named Michael Hoover. He's this heavy set, older gentleman. Looks like a guy you'd see at a, at a private golf uh, club or course or um, something seemed off about him to me even from the little interviews that they had with him like I just didn't buy his story about how he found the game winning piece he found it in a magazine or something yeah he was, he was reading like an Us Weekly or something like that and uh, or he was reading some magazine and he dropped it in the water or something because he was at the beach yeah. and then he went to the store to get another uh, like copy of uh-huh. the magazine and in that magazine it had the winning piece because not only did could you get the pieces on the cups and on the fries 
from McDonald's, but that and I didn't even know this till I watched the documentary. They'd also print uh put some of the game pieces in magazines in like an app yeah. like there'll be like a pay like a full page advertisement for the McDonald's People magazine because that's the magazine okay. he said uh he was on the beach he lost his copy of people magazine in the ocean and then he went to pick up a new copy and then it had the million dollar piece now wh- uh, why the fuck you would read such a vapid shallow magazine <laughs> at a beautiful well, he's a place vapid, like a shallow person so <laughs> yeah he probably spent the money on hookers and blow i, I just he just seems like that that older yeah that older guy who's uh you know into younger younger girls mm-hmm. and drugs but he looks like yeah. you know mr mr republican over here but he's got a dark side yeah uh, kind of had a Newt Gingrich kind of Yeah, vibe. he does kind of look like Newt Gingrich <laughs> a bit. Who I, I'm sure also spends most of his money on hookers and, and blow. So uh, Matthews was so gung-ho about this. He shows up to the McDonald's meeting with uh, all the other FBI brass wearing a, a just yellow McDonald's suit. <laughs> he just shows up and was it a gold suit? I think it was a gold suit. So it's been a golden <laughs> yellow suit. Which is the complete, which is crazy because again, like you'd think, like the FBI is like the peak of professionalism, and yeah, then these kind of antics are going on. It's kind of hilarious. He looks like a fucking uh, pimp for uh, McDonald's, and uh, they came up with a name for the operation. It was called Operation Final Answer. Um, uh, the Vulture, our author, brings up a better name, Operation Hamburglar. I actually like that quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. Because that, that fits. But maybe there's issues uh, with operation names being too on the nose, which makes sense. And so there's one more thing I want to mention about this first episode that's just craziness is they are shooting some footage on the beach because the whole point is like, oh, let's go to the beach where you lost your magazine and where it all started. Mm-hmm. And so they film him on the beach and ask him questions and whatever. They give him this big giant check. You know, it's 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 a, you know, it's it's a novelty check. It's not really uh, the, the real deal uh, because he already got the money. And then this fucking homeless guy or some no, shit. It was a homeless this, this he tweaker. Was, he, it was just some college age dude just bro. Just some college age dude bro. <laughs> he like grabs just... the check away from the guy and just runs away with it like a fucking doofus. It was like the worst fucking thing to happen because this is an undercover operation. And like if this guy got away with it, like it would have just completely just blown the whole thing and Oh my god! I, I think they would have been able to recover from that one. They they would have been able to recover from that one, I guess. But I think it was actually uh, the the one where it could have blown it. I think was in the second episode. I forgot exactly what it was, but they had to like really think on their feet. Uh, I think the but, guy. Uh, uh, I think bought, um, uh, fucking uh, Doug Matthews accidentally sending uh, the whole. Uh, operation faxing it yes. to the damn newspaper yes. that's it that's it that's yeah the, yeah that's someone that really could have just blown it wide open just ruined the whole thing um but this it, it was just a crazy you know uh situation another incident uh i was think dog matthews or someone like they just tackled the fucking guy yeah <laughs> just fucking decked him took the check back 
So, uh, yeah, that's uh, episode one. A lot. It's just a lot of recapping things, introducing you to the FBI agents involved, the lawyer, Mark Devereux, and uh, the mysterious Uncle Jerry. And, and the episode actually ends with this whole, like, a reveal of, oh, my God, like, Uncle Jerry li- actually might be involved with the company that was responsible for the advertising for McDonald's at the time. Yeah, I mean, this this uh, advertising company. What was the name of them? I forget. I, I'm trying to find the advertising company name, and for some reason, like it's not. I think it was Jacobson something. Okay. Right? Well, for Words all intents right? and purposes, there is this advertising company that McDonald's hired, and this company was responsible for not only the Monopoly game promotion, but a bunch of other popular advertising campaigns and promotional campaigns for other uh, fast food places too. Which uh, I didn't realize that. Um, I thought all this stuff was developed, you know, in-house as far as... Simon Marketing. There you go. Yeah, like, I, th- I thought all this stuff was developed, like, by McDonald's. I didn't know they hired... I didn't know these companies... I mean, I, it's probably naive on my part, but I didn't know, like, companies hired outside marketing firms to, like, come up with all this shit form. I didn't know that either. I mean, when I, when I found that out, I was like, whoa, like, that's, that's, that's crazy. That's like, and they were the ones that came up with the the Happy Meal promotion. Yeah, which Jesus Christ, talk about a successful thing that that was. Yeah, exactly. Really, really a successful uh, partnership. So this one is introducing the whole. Okay, who's Uncle Jerry? Who is this guy? And uh, then they start to reveal who uh, they believe. Well, he's the first suspect of who Uncle Jerry is, and it's this man named Jerry Jacobson. He was a former law enforcement officer who got a security job at Simon Marketing, the firm responsible for running the Monopoly promotion. The second, uh, uh, Jerry, is uh, Gennaro Jerry Colombo. There's actually two Jerrys. Uh, a full-blooded Sicilian gangster who was part of the Colombo crime family and one of the five Italian-American families that ran organized crime in New York City. Yeah, it goes that deep. Yeah. We got the fucking mafia involved now in this uh, McDonald's scam. Which makes you which <laughs> makes you question, is there nothing sacred in this world? <laughs> like, I can't even go to a damn McDonald's and play a stupid... A monopoly game without the fucking mob being involved somehow. Like, good lord. Mm-hmm. So, in December of 1995, an anonymous donor mailed a $1 million Monopoly game piece to the St. Jude's Children's Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee. It was this big spectacle, this big deal. Understandably, all these news networks ran with it. It was this heartfelt uh, story of... Uh, generosity it was a christmas miracle and uh it was so heartwarming that mcdonald's suppressed its natural inclination to disqualify it on a technicality um and uh there's a company rep who's interviewed and he's for the news segment about the donation and he's very disappointed with it because he's like mcdonald's worked out a way to pay the game piece even though it really can't be transferred legally so, the first question that it asks about the St. Jude's donation in the documentary is whether or not the game piece was legitimately earned, and uh, gives you the answer in the final moments uh, of the episode. 
So the, this this documentary series was very well edited, very well structured. I thought the two writers did a great job, uh, really keeping you invested throughout the entire series. Because every episode had some reveal or something that just kept you hooked. Yeah, for sure. So uh, the first uh, character that is introduced... Uh, is Marvin Braun, a Jerry Jacobson stepbrother from Miami, Florida. According to Braun, Jacobson dreamed of being an FBI agent as a child, but he grew into the role of a scam artist who gifted his brother a $25,000 game piece with the promise that he'd keep his mouth shut and not ask questions about how he got it. And uh, there was a little bit of a uh, falling out between the two. They weren't really that close to begin with, but he overheard that Jerry might have been involved with selling these more of these game pieces, and they got in a little bit of a argument, and he thought that was it. You know, he was done. He wasn't going to do any more of this, but uh, that was not the case. Jacobson uh, first connected with the police in Hollywood, Florida. Uh, he was offering the detective access to his psychic friends for help on a murder case. Yeah, they're psychics involved too uh he ultimately he got uh gillian bar syndrome gillian barre barre gillian barre syndrome and uh it ended up ending his career as a policeman and then he was brought into a security post at simon marketing and that's how he was able to get his foot in the door on this uh massive scam now, I know later on the documentary reveals how he did it, like in the last episode, but we don't really have to wait till that point, because I know I'm pretty sure a lot of people are like, okay, how, how did he do it? Like, right. How did he do this? So, it happened under the nose of Jacobson's wife at the time, Marcia Derbyshire, who was another ex-cop who found work in the security business. Her employer was Dittler Brothers, a printing company uh, that happened to be the place where the Monopoly games were printed. Um, Dittler sounds like uh, Adolf Hitler's uh, slightly mentally challenged younger brother. Okay, yeah, I don't know. Just do do with that what you will. It's uh, <laughs> it's a good joke. It's really funny, and I'm just I'm just throwing it out there. You can do whatever you want with it. So, <laughs> so Dittler brothers. Uh, after it's re revealed what happened to these companies, Simon Marketing, Dittler Brothers. Is incredibly tragic, and you really feel for the employees that are interviewed in this documentary because it puts a face to these to the fraud. It shows you that there there is there are more victims here than just McDonald's, and in a lot of ways McDonald's kind of gets off light because they don't really lose any they didn't really lose any money technically. Yeah, they already they had already budgeted out the money that they were going yes. to lose from the uh, the contest. Like that was already a part of their yeah. financial plan. Simon Marketing shuttered after this this whole uh, debacle, and Dittler Brothers closed down too, and all these people lost their jobs. A lot you, you uh, got a glimpse of these uh, working class personalities, the people who worked at Dittler. And uh, it is pretty fascinating to see that this kind of they kind of remind you of like stereotypical blue collar workers in like a movie, 
you know? In a Michael Moore movie, I would say, especially. In a Michael Moore movie. Uh, so they were entrusted with not only the game pieces, but scratch-off lottery tickets and other sensitive games a chance because they were considered to be really secure. Well, this is how this all uh, started. By coincidence, by uh, cruel fate, uh, Jerry Jacobson got a hold of a box that he was not supposed to get of stickers that were used to seal up the envelopes that included that uh, had the winning pieces in them. No one knows how he got it. He just mysteriously got these fucking stickers. And because he had those stickers, he was able to grab the envelope. And also, not only that, he found a way to get access to the code on the, the combination on the other side of the uh, briefcase that the the uh, winning pieces were in. He had his code, his combination, and this other security gal, she had hers. He found a way to get hers, so then he was able to just take the briefcase to the bathroom, and he would just switch things out. He would cut open the sticker, the seal with the box knife, and he would take the pieces out, grab them. He would replace them with, you know, pieces that weren't the winner's. And so it had the same amount of weight and it had the same amount of pieces and that he would just put a new sticker over the folder. And it was so it was so crazy. It's like he would go around the plant being like, this is remember, this is the folder with the with the winning uh, pieces in it. Need to have top security. You need to keep an eye on it. You need to, you know, all of this fucking shit. All this song and dance, yeah. He's robbing them blind the entire time. It's just crazy how it all happened just by chance. If he never got those fucking stickers. Yeah, I mean. (laughs) None of this would have never happened. Right, like the the whole basis behind this all even being possible was him getting those, that box that was not supposed to be sent to him of those stickers that sealed the envelope and that mm-hmm. was supposed that was the two security checks were that two people had two different codes to unlock this briefcase and then he was one of them he was one of them and then this envelope <laughs> that uh had this special sticker seal which i mean yeah like if if no one's supposed to have those stickers then it would have been it wouldn't have been a bad security measure but somehow he got them and they and in the documentary they don't even know how he ended up with with uh, all those stickers mm-hmm. he must have had a shit ton of them too because you know enough to yeah. to keep running the scam over and over again for you know yeah. more than 10 years mm-hmm. and they never changed the sticker design either which i'm sure is a security measure they would have would they they've since changed Oh, definitely. I'm sure there's some kind nowadays with, with technology. I'm sure there's a chip that they implant in the person's forehead who's supposed to be in charge of the fucking thing. Or or they just in the it's not a folder or there's something more complex with it. They have like something that can scan. To yeah, make sure, exactly. Uh, everything is in place and so on and so forth. They probably have security cameras. I don't know why they didn't have more security cameras at Dittler Brothers anyway. 
Um, but I guess they didn't have them in the bathroom because it, because, it was know, started privacy. by Adolf Hitler's slightly uh, mentally challenged brother, younger brother. <laughs> You're still rolling with that. I'm one. trying to make that one work. <laughs> I want to make that joke work. I just feel like if I workshop it enough, it's uh, going to be funny. Uh, what was funny though was how uh, the next uh, winner w- was uh, sweating like a fucking pig, uh. or as the Vulture uh, article says, he was sweating like Jordan Peele in the browser history sketch, <laughs> which is is such a perfect <laughs> way to describe it. <laughs> yeah, the guy that yeah they I- Buddy Fisher, who was a million dollar winner. And the interview is like, oh, my God, this older guy, you can tell he's lying. Yeah. And and what's sad is, is like, you can tell he's not used to lying, which exactly why why that's sad to me is because you're you're it's turning these people into like monsters. You know, it's turning them Mm -hmm. into these lying, dishonest people when they normally were decent people. And that's what that's what greed and the love of money can do, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, it, oh, it was so bad. He's just like, I, I uh, 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 uh <clears throat> um, it, I, I found the, 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 the game winning, the, 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 I went to McDonald's and I, I ordered my normal order and I got, I got, the, and then the, the piece and it, it was a winning piece and I was like, oh my God, like, this is a, just this trip, 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 trip. <laughs> yep. So the big reveal is that he's Jerry Colombo's father-in-law. Because Jerry Colombo was an idiot, uh, not only was he a, uh, and I can say whatever I want because, uh, you know, he's no longer with us. But anyway, he was not very smart. Uh, he was constantly giving these winning pieces to people he knew. And people that have mob connections. <laughs> well, I mean, like, well, that was one of the big things that tipped off the FBI in the initial investigation yes. was that, like, all the people who had won the million-dollar prize from, like, this year to this year were all somehow related to the same family. Whether it was mm-hmm. a brother-in-law, a, a, a father, a son, an uncle, they were all in the same family together. And it's like, wait a second. That ain't right. That's no. that does not pass the smell test. Not at all. Uh, another thing that doesn't necessarily pass the smell test is the whole thing where Braun, uh, his he, he his whole story where he refused a one million dollar uh, piece. Yeah. Um. I I don't know if he he refused it in that manner. That seems a bit overly dramatic. Didn't he say he like flushed uh, it down the toilet or something? Yeah, he flushed it down the toilet. Yeah. It seems a little overly dramatic. It's from a guy who took twenty five thousand dollars for, you know, from from his brother, and he didn't have a problem with that. And uh, so I'm just looking at some of the scenes. There's oh, one uh, more fascinating price verification measures. Uh, there's a little error in the typography of the winning pre- winning piece, along with a code revealed through a blacklight pen that wouldn't have stopped this particular scheme from happening, but uh, it would have prevented forgery, for sure. Uh, apparently, they would talk about how Jerry Colombo was going to be in either Shanghai Noon or Shanghai Nights with Jackie Chan. Remember that? Uh, 
No, I don't. I don't remember that. Yeah, yeah, he was gonna be in one of those movies, and entirely in character for his wife to refer to as the pairing uh, as a Sicilian and a Chinaman. But I, I don't know about that. That just seems like total just nonsense. Um, this is, maybe this he might have had a little cameo. This is a non sequitur for for the uh, listening audience. Why is the term Chinaman considered racist? I, I never understood that. Did you know that, Mike? Yeah, I think it's probably because of its its uh, because people had used it in a racist way oh, for so long. Like so. he's some dumb Chinaman. Like, yeah, something like, like that. even though you are from China, you yeah. know, uh, I don't, I don't, I, I don't particularly see how it, anyway, yeah, that's, that, that's a tangent. Maybe someone out there listening knows why that's, I could probably just look it up, but. Josh is really trying to be controversial. I'm not, <laughs> this, I'm, this, this, I'm not, it's just, this episode. I, I brought up Hitler and I brought up a, ra- a <laughs> racist term, but I'm really not trying to be controversial here. I swear. It's just my nature. I'm curious and I make dumb jokes. These are the two aspects of my personality. Yeah. So uh, Jerry Colombo has a wife who Ugh. is God, she quite a character. Yeah, she is. A, she, she's least. like your she's like your great aunt who like smokes three packs of cigarettes a day. Robin? No, it's not Robin. Is Robin the? Is that her name or is that the daughter? I think it is. Is it Robin Colombo? I think yeah. I think it is Robin. I'm almost sure it is. These people don't care either way. Well, there is a daughter, so she's she's only in the documentary like briefly though. Yeah. Um. So anyway, yeah, she's redhead. Well, I don't think it's natural red. No, she's definitely no. dyed. Yeah, she would be, and you can tell like she still has money. She probably still gets mob money. Like it doesn't look like she's like completely, totally piss poor because. She's got all this fancy, expensive-looking jewelry and all this other shit. So she's still getting taken care of. Well, when Jerry Colombo died, I'm sure, I'm sure, uh, you know, he had her. Her still being the wife, I'm sure he had considerable mm-hmm. assets that she was able. She's to... a character, but as the series goes on, you honestly kind of start to sympathize with her in some ways, especially for being. In that sort of situation where once a mob wife, always a mob wife, there is no escape. Yeah. The only escape is death. Yeah, that would suck. God, that'd be awful. So, uh, Columbo, he reminds me of Will Sasso from Mad TV. Yeah, ca- yeah. Will Sasso yeah. vibe. And uh, so, anyway... That's episode two. Episode three, you get a little bit more about uh, this, uh, his wife, Columbo's wife. And you get, this is really where you start to reveal Columbo's involvement with everything. Uh, but they also mention another uh, contest winner, Gloria Brown. This is the one you feel for the most because she is not related to the mob. She isn't any of that. She was targeted by uh, Columbo as a uh, way to maybe get the scent off him. And, you know, what? hey, also kill two birds with one stone. Like, have a woman of color win uh, the million-dollar game piece. She was struggling financially. 
And when you are struggling financially and you're raising a family, there are there are times where you you make mistakes like this. You see it, oh, I can get a million dollars. I could fix all my problems, you know? But here's the thing. The winners were really winners because anyone that bought because you have to buy the piece from Columbo. Because he was the one who was initially selling these pieces. Uh, Jacobson was getting them, and he was giving them to Columbo, and he was getting some cut, but he wasn't the one that was actually selling them. And actually, I don't think he ever was the one that was selling them. It was always some middleman or some other person that was involved. So the first person that was uh, the middleman, the guy, the dealer, was Jerry Columbo. And... Uh, he he put a lot of attention to himself anyway. Like he he won a car. Like he 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 actually stole the the piece. He bought the piece where you win a car, and he's showing up on an ad on TV. Like his face is just all you know with this shit eating grin on his face. He's just like, ah, oh, look at this car I, I won. You know. Yeah, just being very visible in the public, which is something you you don't generally don't want to do if you're involved in a fucking scam. But, you know, he, he was a very... Uh, He's a mob guy. Like, he had mob connections. He was like, what the fuck are they going to do to me? Well, that's what he thought. I got mob connections, man. I'm untouchable. Uh, but Gloria Brown was uh, the next uh, one that was chosen, and she mortgaged her house in order to be able to pay the, the fee up front to buy the winning piece. And then... After that, just like all the other winners, she has to pay Colombo. Because I think they get thir- do they get 30 grand a month? Was that it? I think it was something like that. Yeah, so you don't I mean, I, most people know this about contests at this point, but you, when you win a million dollars, you don't actually win the lump sum of a million dollars. First of all, the IRS... It's not like the lottery where you can be like, hey, I want I want the lump yeah, sum the, like right the now. The IRS takes their cut out of it, so <laughs> right off the top, they've skimmed, you know, 20, 30, 40%, and then they give you... It, they give the rest of it to you in, in, in increments of like... Yeah, it was like... It was, was it, was it 30,000 a month or... A certain amount of year. I don't remember which, but um, Jerry, $50,000 every year. There you go. Um, $25,000 was uh, tax free. And that's what uh, Colombo got, leaving her with only $10,000 after taxes, which didn't change her life much at all. So it wasn't worth the torment. It wasn't worth the uh, eventual trouble that she got into. It wasn't worth it at all. Because she only got 10 grand. A year? Yeah, I think, yeah, it was 10 grand a year. Yeah, that's, I mean, for me, that would that would help, but by no means would I... It would help me, for sure, but not, not I, I'm not going to go into, you know, do this right. kind of thing. Right, and, and it's not by an even, you know, in today's money, you know, an extra 10, 10 grand a year, it will help, but you'll by no means be anywhere near millionaire status. You're not going to go and buy a $100,000, $200,000 home uh, with an extra 10 grand a year on top of whatever you're making currently. I mean... No. It, yeah, it's just, it's not... That would be like if I got a second minimum wage job and got 
little less hours. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Because I made 13 grand around that last year. From Michael's? Yeah. So it's like working two jobs. Yeah. That's really what that yeah, is. Yeah, pretty much. Two minimum wage jobs. Yeah. It's not worth the, you know, now you're connected with the mob. Now you did something illegal. Now you have to deal with the guilt of all of that shit. Oh, yeah. And Fuck that. I, I don't want I don't ever want to do anything illegal to where I have to worry about the government breathing down my neck. I've been in the legal system before and it is not a place I ever want to go back to again. I don't blame you. I don't think there's anyone listening who's like, yeah, I want to break the law. Well, I think I don't think it sounds like fun. I don't think anybody <laughs> goes right out and like says it like that. But I think they're like not they either think that they can't be touched or yeah. they underestimate the severity. Here's my thing: of what could if it was if it was a situation where like okay, there's money, like lost money, and it could not be traced back to me or anyone else. I don't know. Like but that's the whole like situation that would have to be. If you stumbled upon an abandoned fucking mine shaft, and there was some bars of gold in there. And it's in the middle of the desert, and there's cobwebs everywhere. I- I'm fucking taking the gold. <laughs> yeah, and it's clear that no one has been in this gold mine in years, and it's probably not. It's probably been forgotten. Then yeah, but even then, the government has it set up to where like you can't just get a large amount of money out of nowhere and just have it and and no. And but here's the not thing: have a paper like if you trail. found, so for instance, if if it was cash. Because I've seen this, like, I've seen Facebook things and stuff like that. What if you found this bag of money and it could not be traced to you? And da 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 da. And I'm like, couldn't be traced to me. Uh, and, and, and drug, it's drug money, whatever it is. I don't even know. I It would be one of those things where I don't even know where it comes from. Uh, I, you know, if it cannot be traced back to me, who's going to turn down that much money? I mean, that's the whole thing. This is not the same situation, like, buying a game piece and I gotta pay this fucking Will Sasso looking motherfucker $25,000 a year (laughs) so the thing about um, it though is like for instance like but I wouldn't see you gotta be smart about it you don't put in all of that money in your account you keep it on you you put it in a safe somewhere you do that kind of stuff you don't just deposit like this large sum of money that you found yeah and like into your account even then like if you say you want to buy a car you gotta you gotta find like one of those sketchy dealerships that like don't ask questions about how you yeah because a lot of times they want to they want to see like you know your your income tax like a copy of your income tax return Mm -hmm. they want to know they want to see or you're just like fuck cars man i'll just lift i'll do lifts and I'll, you know, <laughs> well, they want a paper trail. They want to be. They want you to be able to prove where where you got your money or how you got your money. And yeah. if you say, "Oh, I found it in an abandoned mine shaft," then they're going to be like, "Oh, well, why didn't you claim that on your taxes? Because you know, we 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 need to tax that. You know, we need to get our our yeah. fingers in every part but of your." At the same pie. time, it's kind of that's kind of dumb that you know they need they don't necessarily need to tax that. It, it's crazy how you get in trouble. Like if that kind of if, if something like that happened. Like, you're going to get in trouble if you don't, like, oh, here's this extra income based on something that I found. But, you know, that's just the government for yep. you. Yep. And at that point, I'd probably, you know, I would put it on taxes just so I don't fucking get in trouble with that. But, you know, it, it's, it's just, it's just, it's one of those things where 
it's in a fantasy that'll never happen. Right. Which you- the closest I'll ever get to anything like that is like when I found a hundred dollars in a VHS tape that I bought off eBay. I saw it's I- about as close as that, that's gonna get. I looked up, I'm gonna get to anything. I looked like up that. that video after you told me about it or whatever. That was fucking nuts. I can't believe that. <laughs> no. Mike literally got a VHS tape off eBay and it had a hundred dollar bill in it. Uh huh. It's fucking nuts. What did you spend that hundred on? Do you remember? I don't remember what I spent it on. I think I did spend it on some more movies no. and a few other of course, things. Of course you did. But uh, anyway, so Gloria Brown is the next winner. She's the one that's being interviewed by the production company, Shamrock Productions. And they really had a lot of fun just totally just humiliating her. Uh, they showed her a picture and like, hey, of a McDonald's where she, this is supposed to be the McDonald's where she won the money. But it's it's just the Jacksonville McDonald's in her hometown. Right. And the photo is so obviously not a photo that a company like McDonald's would use in a promotional sort of thing like this. They would have like a nicer photo of the actual. This is like shot from like the freeway. Looks like it was like, like, like shot in the bushes, like I know. miles away from McDonald's. Like <laughs> it's like it just raises a giant red flag. It's just like oh, here's the winning McDonald's. You know, here's a picture they, of the yeah. McDonald's they were basically the re- recording all these people to try to get them to mm-hmm. perjure themselves or, or implicate themselves. Um, and, and so that's what they were recording all these people for, from the sweaty guy to Gloria Brown to all these people. They were trying to get yeah. them to lie, to be deceptive, so they could they could you know put like put all the pieces together of what's going on. And clearly, all the people they were interviewing were fucking lying. So they knew some there was some kind of uh, corruption that everyone was in on, you know, with this whole thing. So that's what mm-hmm. all those interviews were for. She's doing the whole like signing the photo, saying thanks a million, right. and points to her winning star, the smile on her face, and the whole the whole reason why the whole reason they were even able to get all these people to come back was they were promising, oh well, let's do a where are they now for the winners of the yeah and the Vegas of the, trip of yeah. the contest, you know all the all the million million dollar winners from the McDonald's competitions are going to get flown to Las Vegas for this all expense paid trip. Uh, but before you do that, we have to interview you and ask you about how, you know, how you're doing now. And, mm-hmm. you know, give me your recollections on winning that piece and all that. And so, you know, one by one, all these people would come in and do their interviews and, um, you know, basically make themselves look like an ass because they were clearly lying and they're having to make up, you know, they're having to make up their story or they had to remember the story that uncle Jerry told them because uncle Jerry fed them stories about, okay, this is what you were doing. This is when you won the piece, blah, blah, blah. So they're having to like, remember all this and all that for the interviews. And that's why the old man was getting so nervous. Cause like, you know, he's like, uh, yeah. And you know, I was just getting my lunch and you know, yeah. he's having to remember <laughs> his lie, which is never a fun, uh-huh. a fun thing to try no. to do. Not at all. So uh, things get weirder uh, as you dive down uh, further into the Columbo uh, hole. Uh, <laughs> you have the whole thing about the Fuzzy Bunnies strip club slash uh, church. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> and that made the news, of course, that did like so many con- people were pissed they were you know 
Christian uh, extremists and all these other like really just. I'm trying to think of the right. I don't word even think it was Christian it. extremists. I think it was just the community in general was not. Oh, the community in general. Well, those two, you know, uh, you know what I'm talking about. People who are like extreme Christians who like anything that is remotely uh, sinful or sacrilegious. You know, they get triggered about it. Um, I thought it was. I thought it was just a hilarious juxtaposition of two different things. <laughs> I mean, a fucking strip club and a church, like. <laughs> A strip club chapel, okay. All right. It was the Church of the Fuzzy Bunnies. Uh, it was a, in a News of the Weird uh, article, and uh, it, it was described as a Bible re- as Bible reading followed by a procession of dancers wearing pasties. <laughs> Why did, it, it started out as just a normal strip club, but then they they had to make it into a church for some legal reason, didn't yeah. they? I don't think it was a legal reason. He just wanted, decided he wanted to do that. I think he also wanted to turn it into a way for people to get married. He was actually uh, trying to make himself an ordained minister so he could marry people at his Church of the Fuzzy Bunnies. I felt like it was something like the uh, uh, a strip club couldn't be within a certain distance from a school or something, so he called it a church. Like, a, like I don't, I don't, I, yeah. I don't remember. I feel like there was, I don't think he just did I it for no reason. I don't think it was that. Well, okay, yeah. Well, there was a local ordinance that forbids such establishments, so he uh, just had, uh, he just followed a lot of loopholes. Yeah, so instead of so it being a strip have... club, it's technically a church, but, you know, it's... It's a strip. Well, club. it was a church later. The thing is, is pole dancers wear Daisy Dukes and pasties, but they never actually take off their clothes. But that's that's what he started out doing first. Then that didn't work. So then he did the Church of the Fuzzy Bunnies. Mm. Okay. So you're technically right, but it, I don't think it had to deal with the with a, a school being there or anything like I just, that. But yeah, it was in I just Ladson, to be told South I Carolina. <laughs> well. There you go. <laughs> I feel better now. All right, and it's time for a little advertisement break. Okay, so we all know how ExpressVPN protects your privacy and security online, right? But there's something you might not know. You can also use ExpressVPN to unlock movies and shows that are only available in other countries. Now that so many of us are stuck at home, it's only a matter of time until you run out of stuff to watch on Netflix. Ain't that the truth? I've been watching all these docu-series like there's no tomorrow. So this whole week I've been using ExpressVPN to binge watch The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, which is, for whatever reason, only available in Netflix of Australia. It's so simple to do. I just fire up the ExpressVPN app, change my location to Australia, refresh Netflix, and that's it. ExpressVPN hides your IP address and lets you control where you want sites to think you're located. You can choose from almost 100 different countries. So just think about all the Netflix libraries you can go through. Love anime? Use ExpressVPN to access Japanese Netflix and be spirited away. But it's not just Netflix. ExpressVPN works with any streaming service, whether it be Hulu, BBC, iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. There are hundreds of VPNs out there, but the reason I use ExpressVPN to watch shows is it's ridiculously fast. There's never any bu- or lag, and you can stream in HD no problem. ExpressVPN is also compatible with all your devices, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, and more. So you can watch what you want on a personal device or on the big screen, wherever you are. If you visit my special link right now at expressvpn.com slash UUM, you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. Support the show, watch what you want, and protect yourself with ExpressVPN at expressvpn.com slash UUM. Back to the show. So, uh... It's just a crazy idea. And then and then Columbo's all trying to make it like, oh, I'm going to do something good. Like, I'm going to 
I'm gonna be an honest businessman. Like your on your 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 fucking idea of being an honest businessman is doing a shady loophole uh, strip club in in South Carolina. Ah. <laughs> uh. Uh, there's a scene in this film that shows, uh, without a doubt, that Robin is a mob wife because it shows her watching an episode of The Sopranos. <laughs> like it almost—it almost, it all, that almost seemed like a, like too good to be true. Like, did they did the directors like actually say, "Hey, Robin, could you like bring up a episode of The Sopranos?" You know, I, I think I never I, think I never got mood. into that show. Do you ever watch that show? I've watched a few episodes. I remember not minding it. I just haven't seen it in forever. I know the last episode was pretty bad. A lot of people were not happy. I remember with, something. With I heard some. Episode. I just remember about something like the screen just goes black at the end or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So episode four introduces another winner. It's this uh, poor old sap. It's honestly a really good way to put it. But at the same time, he's not really as much of a poor old sap as you think. He's like the kind of guy who has that uh, uh, appearance of a guy who's, you know, good old Southern boy, Southern bumpkin or whatever, but he's actually more shrewd than you would initially think at first glance. Um, this is the older guy, right? Uh, th this is... Uh, da -da 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 -da, what's the guy's name? Who then suckers his friend into it somehow. And then his, his... No, it's Dwight Baker, I think. Dwight. No, Dwight. Yeah, Dwight Baker is the guy. He suckers his friend into it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Dwight Baker is the one. Because he becomes the new uh, middleman. Along with A.J. Glom. What a name. Uh, yeah, A.J. Glom. Glom. <laughs> Uh, so what happens is Columbo dies and, uh, things were starting to, they were starting to get some heat put on Columbo anyway before his death. Well, he dies in a car wreck and his, dies his in a car wife wreck. was driving. Yeah. It, I don't know. It's not as insinuated. Maybe she tried to. Yeah. Well, like, that's what the family was. Kill herself. The family was trying to insinuate. So this whole incident completely just splintered the whole family relationship. Uh, Columbo's, uh, Jerry's mom, like the mob grandmother, <clears throat> you know, was just screw him. You know, I mean, screw her and, and you know, all of that. I'm going to take the, the son away from Robin and so on and so forth. And right. So a lot of just family uh, disaster that occurred after that. So uh, his brother, Frank alleges that uh Columbo's possessions were stolen by Robin uh but he also claims that he collected the winning tickets from Columbo's freezer and wound up destroying them which I don't know about that it seems like a little did he really destroy them well or... he didn't redeem it so no he didn't that's for sure I mean um, I believe that he... he did yeah I do I actually do believe he destroyed them because he seems like a guy uh despite the fact that he's part of a mob family he seems like a stand-up guy for the most part he uh, seems like a guy that definitely as soon as you like make him mad he probably completely changes his demeanor oh yeah that too so uh there's money missing from his glove box there's all this other stuff that happened and uh francesco was the kid that was uh taken away from his mother 
Seems like he's doing all right. So there's uh, some positives there. Uh, but now Uncle Jerry, Jerry Jacobson, uh, because Columbo's out of the picture, he had to find other middle managers. And uh, I, I, lo- I like that Robin, she calls him a freaking gangster himself, which is perfect. Because <laughs> he really is. I like how uh, his ex-wife just does not hold back when she's talking about Jerry in this documentary. Um, and then there's another gal that gets involved later. Like she, she's revealed to be the informant. It was this, uh, was she a stewardess or something? Yeah, she was a, uh, a stewardess. She was a flight it, attendant. Sorry. Well, whatever. <laughs> and she, um, she dated, uh, would she dated, um, it was it Jerry that she dated. Yeah. Yeah. It was Jerry Jacobson. Yeah. And let me just tell you. And he was married at the time. Hey, I would have done the same thing. This chick, even though she was elderly in this movie, she was still like you could you could definitely. And I know I always make comments on how the women, women's appearances in these shows, but I don't care. I'm a, I'm a red blooded American. Damn it. She, you could tell that this chick was a knockout when she was younger. She's still uh, pretty, you know, for an older lady to me, even even in the, you know, how she is now, how she looks now. But man, mm-hmm. I guarantee you when she was younger, I bet she was like a fucking 10. I couldn't get over how yeah. well she, like she really the only difference between how she probably looked now versus then was she's just, you know, got some looser, you know, old lady skin. But she was wrinkles. Yeah. She was still uh, really, really pretty. I couldn't get over how like well she aged. I was like, damn. And no old ladies could look that you know cute still. Somebody, it's it's genes. Yeah, oh, I know. Genes, it's all genetic. Yeah, I know. Lucky bastards. So, the next uh, middleman, because it was actually uh, more than one person this time around that Jerry Jacobson uh, got involved with this whole thing, was AJ Glom, who uh, I believe he had sold drugs. He'd done a few other things. He had just been released from prison on a drug rap. He was actually uh, name dropped earlier in some earlier episodes when they were doing their investigations. They found this mysterious name like AJ Glom. Like, who is this? And uh, he's the one that Hoover, I think, talked to on the phone. And because they, the FBI, of course, is tapping the phones of all these people. And didn't some of them like just fuck up and like say a lot of shit uh, over the phone? Uh, uh, like they yeah, thought, oh, yeah, you know, nobody's um, the the first guy Hoover or whatever the first winner, yeah. quote unquote winner. Um, pretty much as soon as the FBI's fake production team left, uh, he called Glom and he was like, "They bought the whole thing. They, you know, I told them this whole story <laughs> and they bought they, you know, they bought it. You know, ha ha ha. Like, what a bunch of idiots! What what a bunch of idiots! You know." Yeah, but in reality, the the biggest joke was. On oh him. yeah, in, in in reality, it was an FBI van, and his phone calls were being <laughs> tapped, and yeah, fucking idiot. So then there was Dwight Baker, who was a real estate developer, an LDS member, uh, Church of Latter Day Saints, who added this scam to his portfolio at a par- particularly desperate moment in his life. Uh. I like how uh, Vulture mentions that Glum's complete absence of scruples is our most charming. Uh, it, it honestly is a good way to put it. Like, he has no scruples whatsoever. He's like, I fucking did it. I'd do it again. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's happy to tell the story of meeting the popular author Harold Robbins and getting high off of Robbins's uh, favorite, orga- favorite orgasm and answer. What was it? A fucking... 
I think it was ecstasy or something, or some mix of uh, drugs. I don't remember that part. He talked about his escape to Europe, and uh, he doesn't seem like a really violent crook, like Jerry Jacobson or Jerry Colombo. Like, I'm not worried about AJ Glum, like, beating my ass, you know? Right. <laughs> Baker uh, moved a $1 million game piece to George Chandler. That's the guy who's like the country bumpkin, who is a little bit more shrewd than you think, for a $100,000 upfront fee. Uh, and it didn't stop him from moving additional pieces to other people, including his sister-in-law, Barbara, who decided to steal the piece and just fucking get the fuck out of touch. Yeah. And the, and the episode ends with, with this cliffhanger of she's at the airport and, uh, <laughs> they're um, having to like pursue her. Yeah. Baker and his wife are pursuing her and Baker's wife is heated. She is hot. She is pissed off. And uh, it's what it is. It is pretty amazing that there were so many people who are aware of Jerry's scheme at this point. It is pretty remarkable that it took the FBI this long to figure it out or know that something was going on. We still don't know who decided to donate $1 million to St. Jude's. Uh, it seems like uh, it's a rumor that it was Jerry Jacobson who did it himself. Or maybe Columbo to, you know, do something a little bit nice to balance out all the shitty things that both of them were doing. But uh, it's not really proven exactly who did that. Uh, Jacobson actually had a stepson named Brian Literal who comes in to talk about an incident where he bounced his older brother's head off a wall in a rage. Uh, but apparently nothing is really made that he was also a employee from Simon Marketing. They didn't really go that far into that. Then there was another guy who was interviewed who worked at Dittler who had a relationship, I think, with Jacobson's uh, ex-wife, I think, maybe. I think there was, a, it was her son or like a relative of some kind. So, uh, Lee Cassano, who Colombo had recruited as a $100,000 winner, speculates that his death could have been a hit, uh, but he doesn't really have any proof about that. Robin Colombo eventually, I think she got arrested for a different charge, right? Wasn't she in prison? Yeah. For a good amount of time? Yeah, she by no means, like, had had a, a clean rap sheet herself, uh, in her own right. Glum's story about uh, how he got the winning piece is, is pretty fucking hilarious. Uh, I was just eating at McDonald's and I got the game winning piece and it's like, uh, and then the vulture points out, what's a guy with a heart transplant eating at doing eating at McDonald's? <laughs> I mean, really? I think they brought that up in the documentary too. They're, they did. Yeah. They're just like, what the, f what are you doing eating at McDonald's, man? Like, Fucking Which I I, I can guarantee you that there's heart transplant uh, patients who eat at McDonald's all the time. You know, mm -hmm. just people do whatever they want despite the yeah. you know how healthy or unhealthy it might be. So the the uh, the guy who got the piece, uh, the, one of the game winning pieces from uh, his friend, he sold a hundred thousand. He paid a hundred thousand dollars up front for it. George Chandler. He seems like, oh, the family man, he runs his own farm. He was working at McDonald's at the time, right? Just trying to make ends meet. And it was just this great story. 
and you know he's won all this money and oh you know and apparently he had he had more money than it appeared like he had other things that he was doing to make money uh and ultimately he raised collateral to to pay for this ticket and he didn't really know like when the whole legal thing starts you kind of do you do feel bad for him and eventually he does get let off understandably because he had zero knowledge of the whole like actual deal with this he didn't know exactly what was going on so he was uh he was ultimately uh, let go, but at the same time, you had to have some inkling of what was going on with this. Like you had to have some idea that there was something shady with, you know, getting a million dollar game piece without actually winning it. You know. Yeah. But I think he bought into the story that oh, someone won this piece and they don't want it. Which is stupid. Like, who the fuck would not want a game-winning piece like that, even if they already had money? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, episode five, that's when we really get uh, more of the whole story with uh, um, Dwight Baker. So, Dwight Baker and his wife and the whole airport thing. It didn't really, like, they just confronted her, I think, right? Yeah, and, and I think the FBI was actually there undercover. Well, they were monitoring to co- the conversation to make, you know, to see if if it if there's any indication that they should actually, you know, break their their undercover mode and and intervene because they were talking about that, you know, they were making veiled threats, oh, oh I'm going to kill her and this that and the other and mm-hmm. but once they did finally confront her, uh, I think according to Dwight, he said something like she ended up doing the right thing or whatever. Yeah. So uh, Dwight's friend, he he reminds me of the type of guy that you would probably run into at your karaoke nights, right? Like you run into that guy. He, he like, reminds all the time. me of like he's like the uh, Gomer Pyle to someone else's Andy Griffith. <laughs> yeah. Or the um, Barney Fife, I should say. Just kind of <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, he's more of the Barney Fife. Just like the well, gee, I didn't know it was wrong, and you know, I'm sure I'm sorry. Like, he just seems very naive and very, uh-huh. you know, just country boy ass. Yeah, so the, the, at this point, the Jacksonville office, the FBI office, they've gotten, they've gotten everything. They've got this whole thing figured out. They got all the threads. And then they fuck up and they fax a 20, 30, 20 to 30 page summary of the case to the Greenville News rather than the Greenville FBI office. <laughs> Which is uh, quite a uh, uh, mistake. It's a big, giant error. And they were very lucky that the Greenville News actually agreed to not uh, run the story right away. Because that would have blew uh, the think, whole investigation. Yes. The years put into it like would have been completely fucked. But they did the right thing, and and it's a small like Jacksonville news, uh, company. So they were like, yeah, it, it, as long as we can be the first ones to uh, run the story when when you make the arrest and you do all of this, and uh, the FBI uh, lived up to that agreement, and they were able to do that. 
There's more like interviews of some of the people who won. You get a little bit more information on George Chandler uh, and his life and all, all of that sort of stuff. Uh, and then this is where you learn that McDonald's had to pull its business from Simon Marketing. And there's some really just sobering and sad footage of these uh, employees at Simon Marketing just like packing up all of their uh, belongings and everything and moving out. And uh, it was apparently a global business of enough magnitude that it got traded on the stock market. But the FBI comes in, raids its offices, McDonald's severs all ties, and then all of the other businesses that were working with them backed out, and all of the stock value was lost in an instant. Um, Kraft and Philip Morris were also involved with Simon. Those are two big companies. They backed out. Hundreds of jobs were lost due to uh, Jerry Jacobson's greed. And I guess uh, some people look at it like, hey, like, what if the FBI never really broke this case? What if they never really figure solved this? Uh, yes, there were people who were legally winning these amounts of money, but it, it it wasn't worth the 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 cost, you know, with this entire company that had to close its doors, and uh, actually two companies that had to close their doors. I mean, Dittler Brothers had to shut down too because of uh, their association with this whole thing. And then you have the whole, like, they're trying to build up who's the informant, the reveal it at the end of the series. And they're giving you these bread crumbs and they're trying to be like, oh, is it Robin? Is it uh, uh, the the Frank Columbo? You know, that sort of thing. (laughs) I love that. Like, the the quote was like, Jacobson has been given a go to jail card (laughs) (laughs) because he got he got arrested. And he, he and he was uh, charged with uh, this whole deal. And uh, Jared Jacobson, who was Jerry's son from a second ma- marriage, uh, he actually offered testimony against his father. And apparently, uh, the reason why uh, Jer- Jared had any relationship with his father apparently was owed to Jerry's failure to pay child support which led him to spend a few summers with his dad up in Atlanta. And uh, I, I like the quote he has here. It's like, this is definitely going to put the nail in the coffin for a relationship. And you know, I'm okay with it. They weren't really that close to begin with. And uh, then we have the finale, the last episode. We reveal how he did it. We already talked about that. And then there's the informant. Uh, it was Lee Cassano. She was the airline worker recruited by Jerry Colombo for a $100,000 prize. She confesses that she was the informant on the case. Or she thought, uh, she, Colum- thought she was anyway. Yeah, I think it's it's it seems pretty obvious, but it actually is actually actually she thought she was, but then it's not. The FBI doesn't. But the FBI wouldn't say that on camera anyway. That's my thing. It's like, why would they like corroborate and agree? It's just, I, I don't know. Oh, yeah, because you actually get to know who it is. Sorry, because uh, it's been a while since I saw the series. So, and there's like, what is there, six episodes? Yeah. So things kind of run together. So she thinks she's an informant, but she actually wasn't. Uh, she was left with a $50,000 tax bill that she couldn't pay because that's what happens with the winnings. 
which is messed up. Like, what if you're in a situation where you're low income, you win this $100,000, hey, here's $50,000 you need to pay to us. It's like, I don't have fucking $50,000. <laughs> I can't pay you 50 grand. That's why, like, a lot of times on, like, places like The Price is Right, when they win a car or whatever, they have to forfeit the prize because all the taxes they want you to pay on it right up front, mm -hmm. you know? So the question of how Jacobson stole the game pieces came out at trial. Um, we already talked about that. And uh, it became a huge, big news story. But then 9-11 happened. I think like a week or two later. And then it was just no, nobody cared anymore. It just buried, and that's it buried why it, the story. Yeah, it buried the story. And that's why and, and, uh, the trial happened years later to not much fanfare. Jerry Jacobson, uh, he was convicted of like uh, like a ton of uh, like a bunch of mail fraud charges, I think, and I think he's since been released, right? Yes, yes, he has. He's living quietly in Atlanta, I believe, with his what his third wife or something. Yeah. And uh, then you have this whole thing where. Robin Colombo, she used to actually be friends with Gloria Brown, which is why Gloria Brown was able to get the the piece. And uh, the stepfather, he got the piece because he asked for it. He was like, I want a game-winning piece. The guy was, you know, sweating like a stuck pig in the interview. I guess James Lee Hernandez and Brian Lazarte, they actually manufactured some human elements here in the climax where you had Gloria Brown showing up uh to uh Lazarte you know she shows up to uh Robin's house and they have a uh reconciliation and then you have the whole thing with uh George Chandler and Dwight Baker sipping some tea in the front porch uh, apparently that really was not necessarily true uh, like a lot of that was staged so was the meeting with Marvin Braun and Mark Devereux talking about their odd prosecutor defendant bond at a diner, because that's actually what happened. Like uh, <laughs> he was a pro he was being prosecuted and he became friends with uh, the, the prosecutor. I thought that, that was kind of bizarre. <laughs> I know. Right. And then you get the reveal that the informant was actually Jerry Colombo's mother. She wanted to keep her grandson away from Robin Colombo, so it was a part of her whole plan to do that. Uh, so, yeah, that is who the informant was. It was uh, Ma Colombo. And she's also uh, reconciled with uh, Robin, and Robin's able to see the grandkids, and she's able to have contact with her son again and all of that, and everything ends kind of like a happy meal in the end where you know despite all the things that happen like there are a good amount of people who are like i'm loving it you know i, I could I, I could uh you know really hate how things happened and still be really really bitter about things but it's been a learning experience uh i think gloria brown like her sister like, she had some falling out with her family initially, but I think things have gotten a little bit better on her end as well. But, um, that's really the whole McMillions story. Yep. 
um, like I said, <laughs> if you thought you were, had a chance of winning the uh, that rare boardwalk piece in the '90s and early 2000s, then you were you were kidding yourself. Though I figured even before hearing about this uh, being a scam, uh, I, I pretty much figured it was some situation where, like, say they printed out like um, I don't know a million. Um, what's the low income? pieces on monopoly um whatever vent nor av which i don't i think that's the yellow one over there with marvin gardens which is actually a higher value one uh whatever uh i figured that they probably only printed like two boardwalks or one boardwalk mm-hmm. so the chances of it's like a 0.001 chance right, of such you a know. <laughs> small chance that you would even you know get win it anyway but then to find out you know there was absolutely no chance for you to win it was like wow that's crazy and for whatever reason, I'm like fascinated with McDonald's. Any, any time a documentary, the founder, yeah, or a movie like the Supersize Me, the founder, this McMillian saying, I just, I don't know. I find McDonald's as an institution fascinating on some weird level. Well, for me, it was the fraud angle. Like that's what yeah. really got me. And I, and I had heard about this before. I read an article, and that's when I first heard about the McDonald's fraud, and I was like, what? When I heard they made a whole documentary on this, that's what really... It's like, man, if there's enough meat on this bone to make a whole documentary... Yeah, there's enough meat in this burger. Yeah, docu-series <laughs> on this, then that's, that's fucking insane. It's a Big Mac. Is there six episodes? So, do you eat at McDonald's? They're both like 40-something minutes. Do you minutes. eat at McDonald's? Or are you like one of those McDonald's not haters? Not really. I, I don't really hate McDonald's. It's just not one of my favorites. I like their breakfast the most. Yeah, a lot of people like their uh, breakfast. I, I, I think the McGriddle is one of the uh, best inventions in a long time. I just don't know how they did it. They actually patented it, and it's like a secret. Like how they were able to put the syrup so well into the into the uh, bun. Um, uh, speaking of breakfast, Wendy's has breakfast now. And that's I don't weird. really care for their lunch, so I'm probably not gonna like their I, breakfast. I, I like wendy's i but the thing is i get wendy's is like four for four deals i get their cheaper stuff i think when it comes to their dollar menu stuff it's a little bit higher quality than some other uh, uh fast food places i think that's the perception so, that they want people to believe too because i hear a lot of people say that but honestly i've tried their burgers and their meat well i'm not su- i'm not super big on the burgers i i get them a lot of their chicken stuff and i think their chicken sandwiches their like, burgers are, just are, taste are. weird like the meat has a weird i don't know if it i don't yeah. know if it's a spice yeah. or a seasoning that they use yeah. what i find disturbing is that i could you could blindfold me and give me a burger from like any <laughs> of these fast food places and just based on the meat how the meat tastes, I could tell you what place it comes from. Yeah. Now, if you're mm-hmm. using real unprocessed meat, it should just it shouldn't have a specific restaurant. Well, yeah, it's like when I t- when I get a really good high quality burger at Killer Burger, it always tastes like the same, and it's always just delicious. And like, there's no like, oh my god, there, it like, shouldn't have some tint of that restaurant yeah. on it. Oh, this no. is clearly a Wendy's burger. Or, oh, this is clearly a Crystal or Burger King. You should look into you should look into doing that sometime because that those are fun. Like uh, Rhett and Link and Good Mythical Morning, they do stuff like that all the time. So you should look into maybe doing a video like that. You blindfold yourself, get all these burgers. Maybe you'll surprise yourself. I'd ha- and be like, oh my god, I'm not, I don't know, as, as, know this as well as I thought. I'd ha- no, someone, it, someone it, else would have to uh, blindfold me, yeah. and, and th- yeah, exactly, they'd have to get a burger from like 
I guarantee to you, I would I would be able to get a hundred percent on that because I can I I could tell like the the it, from the texture of the meat to the 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 bun, all that stuff tips. It would be fun that it would be fun to try regardless because th- there are things like that where you can be like, I know I can do, it, and then like you do it, and you're like, oh my god, like fuck. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I it would be surprising if I got it wrong, <laughs> but um, yeah. Uh, um, but uh, is there anything? Yeah, like, I. McDonald's, it's, I mean, it's, it's decent. Um, I would say it's better than Burger King. Burger King used to be better. Like some about me, something about Burger King. I remember it actually not being as bad as it is right now. I don't, I don't know what's going on. I, I think ingredients wise or something like just pretty the awful. meat is very uh, like rubbery to me it doesn't the fries are oh horrible. god the fries used to, and I the fries used to be better i don't remember them being yeah i don't remember them being that bad and i had fries burger king i'm like god it's just the fries trash. used to be a lot smaller in like diameter yeah there it is there it is that might be yeah it. they made they they took the same exact flavor and and texture and everything and they just made the diameter of the fry big for some stupid reason and it doesn't work they get cold like super fast and are just crappy well with the, the with the big uh, fries there's le- um there's less like surface area i, I feel like or there mm-hmm. there there's more but it depends on who does them. Carl's Jr. has a little bit bigger fries than McDonald's, for instance, and those are still like really good. So it just depends on like, um, what what place you get them at. McDonald's has some decent fries. I like them better than Burger King. Burger King. I, I remember them having these uh, select uh, chicken sandwiches that were pretty decent. Um, I tried like a, was a guacamole chicken sandwich, I think, from them a while back, and it was all right. They're they're trying to be fancier. I don't know if you've seen this at some of your McDonald's. Like they're like remodeling and trying to be like fancy and high end, but on a low budget, and it doesn't work. Like my local McDonald's, you go inside, it looks like a cafeteria. It's silly but- <laughs> because like yeah, they're t- like the Wendy's that just uh that they they tore down the old Wendy's and then they rebuilt a new Wendy's in the same exact location and it looks completely like postmodern style with yeah, like a lot of a lot of glass instead of wall you know like the walls are made uh-huh. out of glass and it's all very geometric and uh almost yeah. like got like this japanese like f- like flair to it <laughs> it's feng shui yeah but yeah you go in there and the employees are the same ex-con bad attitude having <laughs> uh you know the burgers are still cold you know like they've been sitting under a heat lamp so it's just like why it's like instead of spit shining the turd why don't you work harder on making it not a turd you know yeah but if you maybe your wendy's just so oh yeah no that could be I, it it might it might just <laughs> i live in i live in a, uh a, not a poor part of town but i live in like a kind of a crappy part of town so yeah all the all the decent you know people and employees and people with good attitudes they all live on like the south side or um, fucking uh, Ponte Vedra, places like that. They mm-hmm. they don't live on the west side in Murray Hill. Um, it's not ne- where I live. Isn't necessarily the ghetto, but it's it's yeah. it's it's very like lower middle class, and you get a lot of you know people out here who are probably on food stamps who have to take the bus uh-huh. for transportation. So you know, consequently, a lot of the workers around here are going to be from this community, and they're they're not. So, in the best do you of moods. do like a um, 
So do you like McDonald's? Do you I do. do you get McDonald's often? I, do, I don't get it often. I do like it. It's a nice, it's, when you want to revert to the basics of taste, McDonald's is, is there for, for that. Like, I guess for me, like, I, I don't, I don't think the burgers really have that much taste to them for me personally. Well, that's what I'm saying. And they're, like, when they're I get, basic. That's why, that's yeah. why they, I think that's why kids like McDonald's so much is because. Is McDonald's like the basic bitch of, of, of fast there's food? There's no, there's no challenging tastes when you get a McDonald's burger. It's like cheese and meat and it just has this, I don't know. I, I, it's like, and then I, I always find them having way too much ketchup and mustard, and and it's just a weird. Now, see, to me, that's Burger King. Burger King stuff. to me always has way too much ketchup and mustard, but that's well, that that, that too. Uh, I my favorite burger place is uh, Carl's Jr. Get the Western bacon cheeseburger combo. Really like Carl's Jr. Uh, see out here, it's called um, Hardee's. Hardee's, uh, and uh, West Coast City Slicker. I actually like Jack in the Box. We don't have one of those out here either. Or, yeah, we don't... See, with Carl's Jr... When they get my order right, but... <laughs> with Carl's Jr., it's it's Hardee's out here, but uh-huh. we don't have an equivalent of a Jack in the Box out, out in Florida or out west. Do you have any, east. like... You don't have any In-N-Out burgers, no, probably. No, nope. uh, You probably have the other ones, like Taco Bell, right? Oh, yeah, and stuff yeah like of course that. you got Taco Bell. Um what's your what's your go-to fast food place? Uh, uh honestly ne- like lately chick-fil-a yeah yeah chick-fil-a there there you go like even more basic that right? i mean yeah <laughs> but the same people who go to chick-fil-a probably are the ones that pay all these cr- crazy high prices for a frappuccino at at a at starbucks but you know hey i don't blame you it's, it's good quality I, you like know? it's not it it, is it's quality. like they actually and the price is not actually that yeah. bad and, and you want to talk about like a, a culture of like g- great customer service like chick-fil-a has the best customer service uh, i would say uh, chick-fil-a yes. and uh, arby's yeah they have arby's is fine too uh, my Arby's remodeled, and it was this weird thing where you got to do a circle around the uh, Arby's location to get to the drive-through. Is that because the it's like the dumb because of virus or? No, it's because of how the building is, how they remodeled it. You got to go around uh, to get to the drive-through. Yeah, it, it is. It's weird. You gotta go in a circle before you can get to the drive-through window. Chick Fil A has something <laughs> like that, and over at my location, but they they have it like that to mitigate the insane lines of yes traffic. That yeah, yeah. Chick Fil A is crazy busy. Like they would make bank if they opened up on Sunday. Oh, I know, but but it's because Jesus is on their side. That's why they're so successful. Because Jesus. <laughs> No, they're so successful because their prices are affordable. They have a good reputation with their product. Although they do some pretty questionable things in terms of supporting anti-LGBT, uh, you know. You know, the, thing about, the, the thing about people boycotting Chick-fil-A for that reason, it's the only reason they're doing that is because it made it into the news. If, if people yeah. actually did research on all the shit that they support and all the shit that they buy... I know. 
I know. You got a point. Find, I think they would find that a lot of the places that they do business with have sketchy people that they donate to and fucked up practices, uh-huh. but people are fucking lazy and they want to just, you know, pick the easy target. Like Chick-fil-A was in the news about it. It's like, oh, I'm not going to fucking eat there anymore. I'm so virtuous. As But a lot of them at, don't. They still go back at, to well, Chick-fil-A anyway. Th- you know, they're, they're <laughs> so they're so virtuous as they wear their sweatshop uh, Reebok and their sweatshop clothes and <laughs> they you know uh, whatever yeah. you know it's like it's if you're just gonna start like like uh, doing business with companies that are just a hundred percent ethical good fucking luck buddy and we can find a list of essential services um, that can be served to you by a hundred percent ethical companies I give mean, me a I list bet of the that. same people. Who are like, oh, I'll never eat there again. Go to Walmart or go to this other, you know, superstore to do their yeah, grocery go, shopping. Yeah, go to Walmart because... where they take out insurance policies <laughs> in case their workers die. Walmart gets paid. It's called a dead peasant clause. Yeah. Uh-huh. But you know, they're, they're, you know, the uh, Chick Fil A supports anti LGBT things. So you know, let's not eat there. It is amazing how fast they are. It really yeah, is. I mean they're fast. The the quality of the ingredients, they're, the chicken, they fry it right there. It's not this frozen bullshit that you get from all the other fast mm-hmm. food places. I don't know how the other fast food chains haven't gotten it yet. That people will spend more money and do more business with you if you give them fresh shit and don't give them this. Fr- Dude, have you ever fucking opened up a, a McNugget and seen what it looks? Like? It's chicken. It's chicken yeah. paste. There's nothing yeah. real about it. I, I don't eat chicken nuggets anymore after watching Super Size Me. I just can't <laughs> eat them. It's, I, I literally am like, this is not a natural thing. It's not meat. Yeah, this, well, it, well it's, it's meat, but it's a meat paste. You know that they well, yeah, deep fried. I mean, it's not what it's not what you normally like. If you get a if you get a chicken finger, that's one being. thing because a chicken tender is like you can act. Yeah, you get like the speaking of chicken tenders. Like I know Chick Fil A has some nice chicken, but Hardee's and Carlos Jr. have some pretty good chicken strips as well. I haven't gotten the chicken strips from there. But uh, anyway, I think that's the podcast. It's safe to say we've been sp- probably made like everybody just starving. I know. I'm, I, I'm probably gonna have a bowl of cereal after <laughs> I get done here. Um, all right, guys. If you want to, uh, if you want to connect with us on Facebook, you can join our Facebook group. It's an awesome group. Um, it's called Go to Facebook and uh, go to the Groups tab or Groups section and type in Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. Um, and join. I've been I've been I've been like a slut lately with that group. I just been letting everyone in because I'm just trying it out. I'm thinking to myself, well, if I let them in, well, of course, I'm making sure they're not John Cosgrove or Terry Moyer before I let them in. I am doing some sort of vetting. But my thought process is even if they say they're joining and they aren't listening to the podcast, all it's going to do is grow our numbers and we're just going to be recommended to more people. And then, you know, once they do join the group, they might see the pinned post at the top of the page that talks about the podcast and it i don't know it just could be potential listeners so i've just been kind of letting everyone in lately just to see what happens if people if too much people start posting stupid crap that has nothing to do with our group then I, i'll probably stop doing that um like I, i'm already starting to get some of these posts like these these hucksters who are start to scam yeah, scam yeah. you like uh tom or todd or zimmer pro have you been getting comments from these random uh, accounts that are saying nice job yeah what's uh, awesome you're video. talking about YouTube right yes. yeah what's that about I have noticed that 
They're all fake. Block them all. I know. They're all fake bot accounts. I know they're fake. Uh, clearly from the comment, it was generic as fuck. Great content, man. Let's do a video together. And then I go to... Subscribe. Then I go to their profile, and it's literally, like, just the most, like, like bot-generated-looking videos I've ever seen. <laughs> I know. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm sure this is a real account. But it, <laughs> and some of them have, like, thousands of subscribers. You're like... Well, it's, I guarantee you it's like a sub for sub service or it's some service where yeah. you can hire some company. And then they're trying to be like, hey, you know, we'll teach you how to get more subs. Yeah, illegally. I'd rather just get actual honest. No, they don't. They don't even teach you how to get subs. <laughs> they'll promise you we can get for $50. Oh, and you'll pay them and they'll just take your money. You yeah, know? for $50, we can give you 500 subs and you pay them 50 bucks and they have all these bot accounts that have already you know they're already ready to go and they just you know make the bot account sub to you and they're not you're not going to get any organic interaction from those bots and you're therefore you will not get any ad revenue therefore they are pointless uh unless you just want to make your uh it's just vanity unless you want to make your ep look a little bigger by oh look how many subs i have yeah but at the same time like it's like you're paying money to these scammers like <laughs> it's it's just i don't i don't yeah it's not, it's not worth so, the risk anyway, at all. Um, join our group. You can uh, join us on Patreon. Uh, you can get the episode early. Um, by uh, you, can, uh, you can tell us what you want us to cover next, blah, blah, blah. Go to patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries if you want to kick us some money for that. I'm still going to have my information in the bio of this podcast, the description of this podcast. Uh, if you want to donate any money to me while I'm out of work here during this uh, fucking bullshit uh, epidemic that doesn't seem to be getting any better. Uh, my job was uh, directly involved with being at bars and and even if things open up again, like his line of work, like uh, dude, you know, I'm like it's... literally like, what am I gonna do for work even when things do open up? Because they are not gonna be. I guarantee you, they will not be opening bars for a long, long time. A lot mm -hmm. of bars are gonna go out of business. Like, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do. I I'm going to have to... You're going to get a job at Fred Meyer? <laughs> I don't know. Or or uh, Myers or some other... We don't you know, have Fred Meyers out here. Uh, so it was just uh, some other... Uh, I'll go back to CVS. Uh, do a cash, cash register for fucking eight bucks an hour. I'm, yeah, I'm sure I'll be able to make end ends meet with that fucking shitty amount of pay. Yeah. Might have to get multiple jobs. Yeah, fuck that. <sighs> I'm j I'll just, I'll just, uh, maybe weddings, maybe you'll still get money. Right. Well, that's what I'm thinking. Stuff. I still, I started working for another wedding company, but he doesn't have any gigs to give me right now because of all the shit that's going on. But when, when that clears up, I guarantee you weddings will resume f faster than bars opening up. So, well, yeah, cause people are going to be like, we'll just do it now. Right. Like, so, we don't know if it's going to close back up again. So, so I was, get I'll probably just end up doing more weddings. But anyway, um, I want to end this fucking podcast because I'm tired of sitting on my ass here sweating. <laughs> we also have YouTube channels. Yeah, you can find um, Mike at youtube.com slash OCP communications. He's a movie guy. Uh, what was the last video you did, Mike? Uh, last video I did, I uploaded a review of the 2005 film House of Wax. Was it, that's, uh, how, that's is, got Paris Hilton in it, right? Yes, it does. How was her Hilton acting it. skills? It's not great, but it's not ho like horrible. She's asked to play a dumb bimbo oh, character. Okay, so like it's not really. So she's been studying her whole life she, for this role. Yeah, she does fine with that role. role. She was it's meant not to a play terrible performance because it's a, just a dumb bimbo character. Right. Uh, 
I think it's a, actually a gem. I think it's actually really good. Creepy. It's got some great effects. Uh, very well directed. Uh, I, I I don't understand why it's so hated. It's not just the Paris Hilton movie. Like she's not even really the lead character. <laughs> so well, um, I, I think that's kind of a, people just hated. But they marketed it yeah, that way. Anyway, people just hated her so much in general at the time. You know, Paris Hilton mm. was like the the Kim Kardashian of our our era when we were teenagers growing up. Speaking of movies, did did you like Airplane? Oh yeah, I never gave my thoughts on that fucking movie last time. Thanks for reminding me. Uh, what I will say about Airplane is, for the time, I can see how that would have been really funny, but I feel like, as I watched it, it was just dad humor out the ass. The jokes mm-hmm. had aged so mm-hmm. poorly. Um, there were some funny moments that still held up that, you know, made me laugh out loud, but honestly, the for the most of the movie, it was just like, oh, kind of cringy, like so much dad jokes and... Just that old school style of humor that, you know, because nowadays everything's got to be sarcastic and ironic and, you know, so bad it's good and all that shit. Back in the, those days, the comedy style was, was you know, just different. Like, uh, as generations change, people's taste in comedy changes, too. I mean, some things are always funny, like someone getting hurt uh, is always something that people laugh at, but... um Especially me when it I happens think a to lot Mike. of it is you need to have some of the context for the satire and that. I, film, I got so really I got the, the context. Trust me, I got a lot of. There's some that you. I, I think there's some that you might have missed though, because like it's one of those where you kind of have to get some of the references, uh, and if you don't like, and that happens anyway with some of these spoof yeah. movies. A lot of these spoof movies, like if you don't get the reference, then you're like, I don't get it, and then you're like, what is supposed to be funny? But uh, airplane, I have fun with it. It's not the funniest movie in the world, but I have fun with it. it goes by, it goes by at a decent enough pace. Uh, Leslie Nielsen is great as the as the deadpan straight character, which is honestly what he used to be known as before he did stuff like Airplane and Naked Gun. Like he was a serious actor, and that's a part of his career that's more forgotten about nowadays like people just look at him as being well that's like christopher walken too i mean christopher walken did a bunch Mm -hmm. of serious roles before he became the goofy you know guy who talks funny you know yeah um but yeah no it was yeah yeah and roberts what were some of your favorite like did you like the the uh the whole lineup to beat the crap out of the yeah, person that that was that was um because that was in family guy and i thought that was really fucking funny and uh i'm uh-huh. noticing more and more as i like expand my cultural palette that family guy stole not stole but yeah uh they they lifted which i guess they do homages uh, yeah they like, yeah constantly. homages there you go they they do a lot of the jokes that i thought was fun were funny that i thought that like they came up with they they are literally taken from like all these classic mm-hmm. movies you know that there's no way uh, the teenagers or early 20-somethings who watched Family Guy back in the day, there's no way that they would have gotten the reference, um, you know. Well, I was in my early 20s. And well, Mike, I, I, got I mean, come on, dude. But... You're like, <laughs> this is what you do for a living, basically. You're a, a, yeah, knowing yeah, old yeah, movie know. references is kind of your thing. Not everyone's <laughs> like you. I know that. Trust me, I know that. And I'm glad not everyone is like me. Yeah, me too. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> but no, uh, yeah. And, and Robert Stack doesn't even come in until like the end of the movie. No, he doesn't. Yeah, he's he's not in it. Yeah, much. and he and even in that movie, like he did have some 
kind of deadpan funny parts, but like he played that very serious kind of Elliot Ness character even in that movie. Mm-hmm. Like he wasn't uh you never really got a chance to see like the the goofy side of Robert Stack ever. It's it seemed like the uh the cockpit. You know, the uh the uh the inflatable Oh gosh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, see, I don't know. There's just so many jokes in there. And then the whole thing like with the black guys doing their whole jive talking and all that uh-huh. didn't age very well. No, um, no, I have to be honest. There's a surprise a bit bit of nudity in that one. Like all of a sudden it's just titties and then you're like, Whoa, and it's like Peter P G but like it's eighties. Right, right. So it they, meant they, so- they, they they were able to get away with a little meant bit something more. Totally like, different back then. I saw I saw I saw critters again today and like there's a scene with one of the critters and there's a subtitle where the critter says fuck and they're like this is a pg-13 movie like i guess you can technically say the word fuck once i think maybe in pg-13 now yeah i don't know but uh yeah space balls is the one i remember the most with like it's a pg film but there's like all this like double entendre like fuck even in the future, nothing works. <laughs> but uh, yeah, airplanes. I was. It, I, it I will is, say. I was. I would say. I was a little let down. Honestly, I was. I was expecting it to be funnier than what what it actually was. So that's that's my take on airplanes. Sorry to disappoint you. you. Definitely check out uh, planes, trains, and automobiles. Um, if you want a funnier like '80s comedy, John Candy and Steve Martin. Like that is that's just a classic. That's really good. true. That all right. If you want, it's not if you want to go over to my YouTube channel and subscribe to me, you can go to YouTube.com/slash/DancingWithGhosts. The last video I did was on the god awful, oh my god, embarrassing <laughs> embarrassment that was Puddle of Mud's cover of Nirvana's "About a Girl." This has been making the rounds on the internet. It's become viral for all the wrong reasons. Wes Scantlin, the lead singer of Puddle of Mud, uh, literally is holding in one of the most severe dumps of his life during that whole performance. (laughs) How he's singing is just fucking horrendous. I don't know how the hell they they record. Ah, dude, like it is. Oh my god, it's god awful. So I do a whole kind of reaction video to that, and I do a bunch of other videos on music and um, just uh, TV shows and stuff like that. So uh, you know, I put a lot of a lot of time into the the content to make sure it's good quality. So you should go over there and give it a chance. Um, and yeah, until um, next time, have a good rest of your week. Bye. See ya.